Welcome to the Islam and Liberty podcast. If you enjoyed this show and would like to support us, visit islamandlibertynetwork.org. There is a donation button on the site. This episode, we have a recording of our 7th International Islam and Liberty Conference, the Islamic Case for Religious Freedom, held in Jakarta. Today, we have Hussein Gatou Mujib. He is an assistant professor with Higher Education Department, Government of Jammu and Kashmir. His co-author, Subir Ahmad Badir, also attended the conference and will be in the Q&A panel. They are part of a panel, Religious Freedom and Constitutional Framework, chaired by Farah Nas Isbahani. The topic is the Hamadiyya question, the response of Muslim scholars and the impossibility or possibility of religious coexistence in contemporary Islamic thought. Assalamualaikum everyone. I am Mujib and I am from Indian administered Kashmir. At the outset, I want to thank the organizers that they were accommodating when it was difficult for us to work on the paper. The paper is co-authored with Zubair Ahmed. Right now, he is working on a book on group differentiated citizenship with Routledge Publishers. The paper is entitled The Ahmadiyya Question, The Response of the Muslim Scholars and the Possibility or Impossibility of Religious co- Coexistence Within Contemporary Islamic Thought. Now, the issue we are trying to interrogate is can there be an Islamic case of religious freedom? Does the modern Islamic thought possess the interpretative frameworks for religious pluralism so that the dissenting, the marginal, the heterodox and the minority groups enjoy proper rights, freedoms and protection? Are there any scholars who are trying to create progressive Islamic narrative about religious freedom? And the question is important that that the religion should not cease to be religion while it's going in the direction of liberalism. Now, Ahmadiyya question is the prism through which we want to seek answers to these questions. What we are not doing, that's also important, that we are not concerned here about whether they can be considered as Muslims or we are not going to the theological debates, the arguments of the, those who claim that they are not Muslims and those who say that they can be considered as Muslims. That's not our concern. Now, what is Ahmadiyya question? Ahmadiyya community is, uh, the movement is among us the most controversial movements of South Asian Islam. On the basis of the claims of its founder, there are two sects within Ahmadiyya community as well. One sect, which commonly known as Qadiani sect, which regard the founder of the community as a prophet of some sort and the Lahori group which sees him more as a reformer than as a prophet. But both communities have been declared as non-Muslim by many scholars as well as many governments like Pakistan. Now, what kind of a persecution are we talking about? They're, first, they were declared as non-Muslims in 1974 in in Pakistan, then there was an ordinance under the government of Zia, which, according to which they cannot call themselves as Muslims, they can't call their places of worship as mosque, they can't issue azan before the daily prayers. In case they parade their identity as Muslims, they can be subjected to formal imprisonment. And According to, with, with, in context of this law, the Friedman, Johann Friedman, She's of the opinion that this law made daily life of community a criminal offense. Now, this, is the stru- this was the introduction. What is the structure of the paper? How do we propose to seek answers to these questions? I'll lay out the map. First, we will discuss the different doctrinal orientations of South Asian Islam. And then we will select scholars from that orientation and see what are their views regarding the Ahmadiyya question. 
First, we will select the traditionalist school of thought. Then we will select few scholars from Islamists. And finally, we will come on to the exponents of religious case of freedom in Islam. Now, we begin with the orientation, the traditional, traditionalist orientation represented by the ulama who have long seen their role as a transmitters of religious knowledge and to guide people in its light. The most important orientation in landscape of South Asian Islam, traditional school is Debandi school of thought, which is associated with the madrasa that was established in colonial rule in 1867. And over a period of time, it was guided by the, the, the founders of this school of thought had the conviction that Muslims, the panacea of the problems of the Muslims is going back to the foundational Islamic texts and shaping their life accordingly. Now this school has a whole chain of madrasas and it is the most important authority, religious authority in context of South Asian Islam. And the scholars who belong to this school are, they, they say that they have been at the forefront of rejecting the beliefs of the Ahmadiyya community and the course they teach for equivalent to BA degree, Aliyah course, they teach five books refuting the ideology of Ahmadis. Now the scholars we have selected is first Anwar Shah Kashmiri. He was one of the most indefatigable polemicists against the Ahmadiyyas. And he considered it the biggest fitna ever faced by the Ummah. He wrote two books, Hayat Ibn Maryam and Khat Khatim Nabiyyin. And he was amongst the first scholars to regard that if anybody converts to Ahmadiyya beliefs and if he is married, if he or she is married to someone who is Muslim, the marriage would be null and void. The second scholar we have selected from this school of thought is Shabir Usmani and Ashraf Ali Thanvi. Shabir Usmani was among the few scholars who supported Muslim League when they were propagating the idea of Muslim nation, that's Pakistan. And he wrote a book in 1924 that I can translate is evidence for the apostasy of Ahmadiyyas and the arguments in favor of capital punishment for apostates. Ashraf Ali Thanvi, the most prominent Sufi, in this school of thought was of the opinion that the boundaries, it's important to guard the boundaries of Islamic faith and anything that tries to dissolve this, like the Ahmadiyya beliefs, has to be dealt unsympathetically. The third scholar we have selected from the school of thought is Justice Taki Usmani, who is having a global standing as an authority on Islamic law. He worked with Islam, with, with government of Pakistan for 15 years on the Sharia appellate bench. Then he has been holding pretty lucrative positions on the Islamic financial institutions globally, like Abu Dhabi Islamic Bank, Saudi American Bank, US, USBC Bank, etc. Irrespective of his cosmopolitan appearance, when he's asked a question that whether we can have social ties with Ahmadiyyas, his response is that the question was asked in, 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 West, in West and he is of the opinion, he, he replies by saying that no, we cannot have relations, social relations with them. We should be very careful in selecting them and the argument he puts forward is that they are different than other non-Muslims in a sense that they claim that they are Muslims while they are not. Now second school of thought that's very important is Barilvi school of thought, it is the second distinct orientation and it's related with its founder Ahmad Raza Khan Barilvi. And it's more known for its Sufi and other de devotional practices centered on the shrines and persons of sacred men. 
Bareilly school is more entrenched in in Sufism than say Deoband. Deoband has a different shade of Sufism, and Bareilly's have a different shade of Sufism. They take pride. They pri take pride for their love of Prophet, as they see him in some, some superhuman terms and denounce other for not doing so. Ahmad Raza Khan was a prolific writer and read, had a great intellectual output. He had written a number of books. He was a mufassir. Now he issued a fatwa, as far as Ahmadiyas are concerned, that Muslims should sever all relations with Ahmadiyas, but also asserted that any empathetic approach towards them will make one kafir. The second scholar we have selected from this orientation is Tahirul Qadri, who right now in context of Sunni Islamic thought or Islamic thought anywhere, I think social media is an important site of contestation. If you want to have religious authority, you have to come on social media and he has a huge presence in that regard. His views regarding the blasphemy laws have changed over a course of time. He has given many times contradictory statements, but as Ma'am has pointed in her book, that when the, this ordinance was being moved in 1984, he had said that those disrespectful of prophets should be killed instantly. The final traditionalist orientation is that of Ahladis, who are in marked contrast to both Barelvis as well as Devbandis, and criticize both, uh, both Barelvis as well as Devbandis for following taklid or following mazhabs and they are of the opinion that we should not follow any mazhab. They are very close to the Salafis of Saudi Arabia. Now, many scholars from this school of thought like Sanaullah Amritsari, Asan Ilahi Zaheer, Maulvi Abdul Haq Ghaznavi, they have given fatwas that there isn't any scope for having social ties with, with Ahmadis. And he, the, one of the fatwas said that you should not also salute them with the Islamic greetings. Then we had selected Islamists from Islamists. We have selected Molana Modudi and Dr. Israr Ahmad. Molana Modudi was the founder of Jamaat Islami. And he wrote two books in, in, with reference to Ahmadiyas. And when asked a question that whether we should have relation with Ahmadis, whether we can make them friends from, a, from, from his student wing of the organization, Jamiat Talba, he replies that no friendship for the sake of friendship is not allowed. You can only have friendship if you want to correct their beliefs. Dr. Israr's, who is again an Islamist, was first with Jamaat Islami, then formed his own organization. In, in context of 1984 ordinance, he is of the opinion that Ahmadiyya question has been a delicate fitnas of the Islam. And if anybody was an Ahmadiyya till 1984, if he can be allowed to be an Ahmadiyya, but anybody, if he or she converts to Ahmadiyya belief in future, should be declared as apostate and should be hanged to death. Now, there is, this is a very dark as far as the image of religious freedom is concerned, but the, the image is not as dark as it seems. There have been exponents of religious freedom. Sir Sayyid Ahmad Khan, the founder of Aligarh movement, at that time, he was a contemporary of Ahmadi, uh, Mirza Ahmad of Qadian, and he was of the opinion that they should be, he should be, the, the founder should be left as, and we should not denounce him. We, we should be kind of good to him 
by staying at a distance it should not be our concern what he is saying whatever he is saying he, he, we should not be concerned about it then abdul majid daryabadi who was from the traditionalist and was a discipline disciple of ashraf ali thanvi he had similar beliefs that and he 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 was of the opinion that if people continue to be excluded from the communities fold on the basis of misguided beliefs how many muslims would be there in the end he thought that ahmadiyya waywardness in their belief in the prophet after muhammad should itself be attributed to the erroneous interpretation on the part of so they should not be seen they should be seen as bad muslims and not as unbelievers allama iqbal was of the opinion that that they should be declared as a non muslim community and after that the muslims will treat them as they tolerate other not other non muslim communities javed ahmed gamdi in this context has three arguments as it it was discussed earlier first he says that nobody can has the right no, to say anybody who is a muslim that you are a non muslim that everybody has a right to self expression then second thing he says that we can trace the roots of of ahmadiyya belief in sufism there have been beliefs like this earlier so he tries to create that paradigm of coexistence third point that he says is that this when asked a question that you are you are having a soft corner for ahmadis he responds by saying that yes i have a soft corner for ahmadis because my religion teaches me so that i have to be have soft corner for every human being then molana wahiduddin khan has the similar arguments as professor kamali said in in the morning session then mirza ali engineer who is another important i told you that social media is an important site of say having an authority mirza mohammed ali engineer is not a scholar in as such but he is having a huge social media presence and he says that i do not consider ahmadiyas as verse than ahli kitab for they believe in prophet for they believe in quran for they believe in the books of prophet muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam and the hadith of prophet muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam and he says that if you declare them non muslims it might be okay but don't persecute them don't have inhuman don't dehumanize them conclusion of the paper is that of course we say that the the, the 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 there has been the the space is opening for dialogue as these scholars which i mentioned in the last are doing but however the there have been debates as such in earlier whether we call them islamic modernists and now the term islamic liberals but they don't shape the ideas of the people it's the traditionalist ulama and if there has to be a change we see that see we had started with three questions are there interpretative frameworks of pluralism yes there are but there can muslim societies be plural and can there be an islamic islamic case of pluralism in muslim societies they are shaped by ulama and traditionalists even now continue to be hostile to this community and if they change in this regard the nahdatul ulama had given a fatwa in i think 2010 that nobody should even if ahmadis are non non muslims for them nobody should take law in his own hands maybe they can go one step further in saying that we can have good relations with them within the framework there is a framework of mushabba alal ahli kitab in fatwae jahangiri it was during the mughal rule in india this used to this was a guide 
guiding book for the rulers there is a category of mushabbah alal ahli kitab that those people who are like ahli kitab maybe this paradigm can be used by the scholars to create the overall framework for coexistence in contemporary muslim societies thank you very much i have so much to say on this subject but i can't get carried away because it's the closest uh, topic to my heart um i have a question again to throw out to all of you to consider um these are not my views but i just like it's a theological question not a political question why is it that ismailis known in the subcontinent as arkhanis the followers of the arkhan why are they not persecuted by the clerics in the same way why is that they differ in some very similar ways then offshoot of shiism i of course do consider anyone who calls themselves by any faith to be of that faith and if they have none they have none that's my particular belief but i want you to think about that and why is it that when pakistan was created the ahmadis were one of the biggest financial supporters of mr jinnah in the state of pakistan why was it that mr modudi the great traditionalist who we must we must follow the traditionalists well we seen where they've taken us in pakistan but um, modudi was against the creation of pakistan so we really have to think about why this persecution of the amadi community in particular not just theologically but also politically because therein lies the answer and we cannot move forward without it because the question of the ahmadis is what divides the islamic community in a very ugly way shias and sunnis and everyone in between um like to um marginalize victimize them in the worst way possible and so in the islamic world when we talk about religious freedom we cannot not talk about the ahmadis ah my name is umbarik i'm from ahmadia indonesia uh, my question is to, for mr bujib okay uh, thank you for your explanations uh one one thing is uh, you describe about uh, theological debates or political backgrounds you say about explain to explain about the uh, the events uh, what hap- uh, happened uh, in pakistan you say about uh, modudi uh, something like that so so many scholar i i never heard also i never read uh, their books that is uh, theological debate or uh, politicals that the force how ahmadia should be discriminated in pakistan you didn't explain like that <coughs> then according to the topics it is possible or impossible to make relationship to make a tolerance uh, with ahmadia and another muslim groups thank you well you know we actually we, we have a problem with coexistence with the, we have the we have the problem with the word toleration sorry not the coexistence but you know what we are saying we are being dealing with the 
in the theological beliefs of Ahmadiyyas. What we are trying to see is, can there be a political space? Can there be a space of coexistence? And when we say coexistence, we mean, you know, where there's a, there's a political space, social and economic space, which acts as a framework of governance, you know, between Ahmadiyyas and uh, the mainstream Muslims, as we can call them, right? So what we are basically trying to do is, you know, see the possibility of that political space, not actually going into the, uh, you know, beliefs or doctrinal beliefs of Ahmadiyyas, rather seeing the possibility, looking at the possibility of that framework of engagement, wherein there is a space for coexistence between uh, Muslims and Ahmadiyyas. And that space particularly has to be political. And, you know, coexistence, toleration, since we are talking about, right, that space has to be political. And because, why that has to be political? Because we have not only marginalized Ahmadiyyas religiously, we have also, also marginalized them socially. Politically, economically, we have marginalized them. But yes, there is an aspect of mutual exclusion, but where, since, you know, Ahmadiyyas are everywhere in the minority, right? You know, it's a majority that gets to dictate. So that's why, that's why when we need to create a framework of coexistence, it has to be a mutual, but it has to be a framework of governance that's inclusive of social, political and economic aspects, right? That's why we didn't go into the doctrinal beliefs because we were more interested in creating the space for them, right? Coexist. Now, we have a problem with, as you said, toleration. We, we have a problem with toleration as well, right? Liberal toleration as we see it, right? Because liberal toleration, we believe it's inherently negative, right? If, if you were to come up and say, hey, Zubair, we had to tolerate you as a guest here in Indonesia. How would I feel? Obviously, it's a negative feeling that you are giving me. That, that's where you know, toleration as a concept, liberal toleration as a concept becomes negative. That's why we, you know, we emphasize a need to go beyond liberal toleration and not only look for tolerating the differences rather than respect, rather respect, respecting the differences. So we, we emphasize a move towards not only, you know, in, in, in with respect to Ahmadiyyas, but it's a suggestion generally towards liberals, right? Both perfectionist and anti-perfectionist liberals that we, we need a space where we, not, we do not look at toleration as a framework of governance. Rather, we look at recognition. We look at uh, respecting the differences as a framework of governance. If you enjoyed and would like to explore more, visit islamandlibertynetwork.org. You can also support us through a donation button on the site. Thank you for listening to this podcast.